This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Rappaport to the rescue with award-winning animal advocate Jill Rappaport. Welcome to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport, and I hope you all had a safe and wonderful and fun Memorial Weekend. It's so strange to be able to go out and see friends. And boy, did I ever see friends at one of the most glamorous happening hip parties thrown in the Hamptons. Talk about the 20s roaring back in. This was a Gatsby-themed party that even F. Scott Fitzgerald would be giving a thumbs up to. It was thrown by the wonderful Cinema Society founder, Andrew Saffer, for his other half, the birthday boy, Daniel Benedict, and what a guest list. Oh my goodness, everywhere you look, there were celebrities. From my best pal, Christy Brinkley, to Drew Barrymore, Mariska Hargitay, Peter Herman, Jane Krakowski. Then there was Dermot Mulroney, Jennifer Esposito, Katie Couric, Gail King, Don Lemon, Donna Karen, Brooke Shields, Cynthia Rowley, the list goes on and on. And we were all flapping away. I was in Fringe and Pearls and the fake cigarette holder. It was a blast. But I have to tell you, I was a little nervous. You know, all of a sudden you haven't gone out for 15 months and you're surrounded by people in very close proximity and you forget how to be intimate, how to hug people, how to give them a kiss hello. You're like not sure how to do it anymore but it was wonderful. We were all vaccinated and we all had such a wonderful time. So great weekend, great way to kick off the summer. I hope you all were able to spend time with loved ones and dear friends and family and enjoy a great holiday weekend. And we have a really special show for you today. Matt Bershacker, the president and CEO of the ASPCA, the oldest animal welfare agency in the United States. And I asked Matt to come back on because I have been inundated with so many calls and emails about all these stories that have been brewing lately about all of the COVID returns. There have been headlines everywhere that now that people are getting back to some sense of normalcy, that these animals are being returned in droves. And that was just heartbreaking. And people are asking me, Joe, what's the story? Is this true? This is terrible. Well, I wanted to go right to the main source's mouth. Matt Bershacker will tell us exactly what's going on from the ASPCA standpoint. So when we come back, one-on-one with Matt Bershacker from the ASPCA. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. 
Welcome back to Rappaport to the Rescue. And here we are with one of my favorite guests in the world, the one and only Matt Bershacker, president and CEO of the ASPCA. As I mentioned in the intro, it's the country's oldest animal welfare organization founded on my birthday, I might add. Matt, April 10th, but 1866. Thank goodness that's not my birth date. And I won't reveal what that is or I'll have to kill you. But anyway, so great to have you back on. Of course, you know why. The probing question, Matt, the articles have been coming out. I've been getting emails and text messages. What is going on with the COVID return? So you're the one to ask. Jill, first of all, thank you for having me. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to try to put this to bed once and for all. So the ASPCA fielded a study. Uh, that study went all the way back to March 2020 to March 2021. And we spoke to over 5,000 people. And what we found was that 90% of dogs that were acquired throughout the pandemic are still in their homes. Great. And 85% of cats are still in their homes. So while there may be a story here and a story there, shelters are not being deluged. In fact, of the animals that are actually not still in their home, less than 25% of dogs are going back to shelters. Most folks are finding a family family member or a friend when it doesn't work out for them. So this is a wonderful, a wonderful story. These animals are bonded. People love these animals. They're fulfilled and they're staying in their homes. Well, I'll tell you, the headlines were shocking. I mean, in one New York paper, COVID animals being returned in droves, you know, and you hear these stories and your heart breaks. You're thinking, oh, this is so sad. They finally get a home. And now that people are going back to work, they're dumping them. But what about the quotes from different shelter groups? There was one group in Colorado that said almost half of their adoptions have been returned. And it's mostly dogs about one year of age. They're usually first time pet owners and they don't don't have another pet, obviously, in the home. So there's no truth to this? So I can't speak to an individual shelter's experience. But what we know is when we talk to our shelter partners, and there are thousands of them, they are not seeing an uptick in returns or relinquishments. Uh, that's what we get from our shelter animals counts data. No uptick on the shelter side. And when we talk to pet owners, we haven't seen it. Now, that doesn't mean that an individual shelter here and there may be experiencing a problem. But I want to address something else you said. The majority of the returns when it comes to dogs are normally puppies, whether they're acquired at a pet store, which is obviously a bad place to go for a pet or a shelter. And I think what that simply means is some people are not prepared for the rigors of owning a puppy. So that's not unusual. You know, at the ASPCA, when we do transports in from the South, we will get many, many more returns of puppies than we will of even the blockheads. So that's not unusual to see higher puppy returns. It's unfortunate. And I think shelters need to work harder to prepare owners for what it means to take a puppy into your home and shelters need to work harder to provide owners with the behavioral support that first time puppy owners need uh, once they bring a puppy into their home. Well, it's so great to hear it from you because obviously you have your finger on the pulse, literally of every shelter, what's going on, the majority of the animals in this country. And you can honestly say 90% of dogs and 85% of cats. Those are wonderful numbers to hear. And in general, people still, I am hearing, are having trouble finding the perfect pet in a shelter. So to me, that's good news. I only get a little concerned when I hear that, that they may go elsewhere to find their perfect pet because they think, well, I tried the shelter system. It didn't work. And you shouldn't just give up if you have a perfect pet in mind and you can't find it in one day, right? Absolutely. And you're right. Shelters are having a harder and harder time meeting the demand for dogs, not for cats. There are still plenty of cats at your local shelter that can be wonderful, wonderful companion animals. 
But when it comes to dogs, you know, we've had great success over the last 10 years, ending needless, the needless euthanasia. Now, we're not done. You know, we estimate that there are probably still about 600, maybe 650,000 dogs in shelters that are dying. Now, for some of those dogs, euthanasia is the humane option, but for many, it's not. So we need to get over the finish line here. But Jill, to your point, we are close to ending the euthanasia of dogs in shelters as a country. And that is something to be celebrated because what that does, Jill, is it allows us as a movement to start looking at the root causes of animal suffering. And in many ways, it allows organizations like the ASPCA and many of the other SPCAs and humane societies out there to get back to our, our founding principles, which was to end cruelty and suffering. So now we can look at the root causes, poverty, animal abuse, and we can start to address the root causes of homelessness at the source before the animal even makes it to the shelter. And the ASPCA is doing so many incredible things. You have started an initiative in the New York shelter, right, where you have the animals, where we love puppies, we all love puppies, but you're not focusing on puppies anymore, are you, Matt? No, no. We are focusing on the animals that truly need to be in the shelter, the animals that need us most. These are victims of cruelty. Uh, these are animals who come to us through our partnership with the New York City Police Department, animals who come to us through our community engagement program. This is a diversion program where you will see animals that are suffering and owners could be charged and arrested. But when you really begin to understand why the animals in the condition that they're in, what underneath, what's underneath it all is poverty, not lack of love, not lack of intent. So this is an animal that's bonded in a home. So rather than taking that animal out of that home and bringing it to a shelter, we're providing the resources that that pet owner needs to responsibly care for that pet, to love that pet, and to keep that pet in the home. So those animals are staying in the home. Those animals that need to be seized are being seized. And we're also working more closely with New York City Animal Care and Control to take some of the medically challenged animals, to take some of the behaviorally challenged animals from them uh, so that they can focus on their open admission mandate and that we can focus on the hardest to place. And Jill, if we can figure out right, how to shelter, recover, and rehome some of these hardest to place animals and share those learnings with the shelter field. Wow, that can be powerful because really we are almost across the finish line, particularly when it comes to dogs in this fight. And as I said, it allows us to get back to fighting large scale cruelty. Just the other day, we did a cruelty case in Ohio, uh, over 90 dogs living in conditions, Jill, that would break your heart. This is a criminal investigation. So I need to be a little bit careful with the amount of details that I share. But trust me when I tell you, this is where animal welfare agents should, should be focused. We should be removing animals from these environments, helping them recover and helping them move on to loving homes. It's so upsetting how much this is occurring in this country. And what I love, you and I did the show, Best in Shelter with Jill Rappaport. That was on over six years ago. And we focused on the underdogs of the shelter world, the seniors, the pits, the special needs. And that is primarily what you're focusing on now in your New York shelter, where you're taking in animals that really nobody wants and are the hardest to get adopted. Correct. And what's, and what's really interesting is some of these animals come to us, like some of the smaller dogs that come to us, they come to us because they have been seized by the New York City Police Department. They have been abused in ways that will break your heart and their resilience and their capacity to forgive is an inspiration. It's enormous what these animals go through and they come out on the other end. And Jill, you know this and your listeners know this. All they want to do is give and receive love. And they're still able to do that despite the environments that they come from. 
Uh, and then we get, of course, we get our big blockheads, which sadly stay in the shelter longer than other dogs. But when we're patient and we find the right home, everyone who's had a pit bull or a pity type knows the tremendous, tremendous bond that that breed type uh, has with their owners and what wonderful family pets they are. I love how you call them blockheads. It's so cute. I just lost my beloved blockhead in the fall. And oh boy, he was, again, an animal care and control. People looked at him. They were terrified by him. Meanwhile, he was the biggest mush of any animal I've ever had. The sweetest dog. He was left tied to a tree in Harlem and he was used as a bait dog, my beautiful Petey. And if I tell you, he never to his dying day uttered even a growl. He was the sweetest, kindest, and only because of the way he looked, people had this perceived notion of him. So I know firsthand what these animals are all about and the prejudice that goes along with them. And it's so unfair. People need to understand that just like human beings, everybody and every animal has its own personality and they have their own desire to want to love and give if they're given the right chance and if they're given to the right person who will allow them the time and spend the time with them to make them the wonderful animal they can be. You said something really important in there, Jill, which is every animal is an individual and every animal needs to be assessed and needs to be treated as an individual. And we put in place personal treatment plans for all of our victims of abuse to help them recover. And we evaluate every animal as an individual. Every person's an individual, every dog's an individual, and every cat's an individual. They are entitled to that type of discretion. And, you know, people need to understand the difference, Matt. You know, everyone says, oh, that place is great. It's no kill. Explain what people need to understand between no kill and that animals that sadly may have to be euthanized due to certain circumstances because the animal in many cases is too far gone, whether it be medically or emotionally. I think that's right. And Jill, this is a really important discussion that the animal welfare community needs to have and that we need to have with our supporters and our constituents. Euthanasia is not a four-letter word. Euthanasia can be the most compassionate, humane thing that you can do for an animal that is suffering medically or behaviorally, you know, the medical euthanasias are much more straightforward and our supporters in the public have a much easier time with them. They can see when an animal is in so much pain physically, they're beyond help. And the most humane thing to do is to provide them uh, with that euthanasia. But behaviorally, think about it. If an animal's behavior, if they are so frightened uh, that they're submissively defecated, if they are so frightened that they're catatonic, and despite the best efforts, and the ASPCA, you know, runs right now the only, but we hope not soon not to be the only, Behavioral Rehabilitation Center, where we take victims of cruelty that are so scared, so fearful, un so under-socialized, and we recover them. And in fact, we're able to recover these animals come from, excuse me, they come from puppy mills or from hoarding situations from primarily. We're able to save about 85, 86% of them. But there are some that are suffering psychologically so greatly that despite our best efforts, our scientific efforts, our proven efforts, they cannot live a life free from fear and tremendous anxiety. In that instance, euthanasia is sadly the best outcome for the animal. We have to start looking at quality of life, not just numbers. But what's so important for people to understand is you give every animal the most important training and medical assistance. You do everything you can to save a life, don't you, at the ASPCA? That is our mandate. That is our remit. That is our obligation. You can't overstate that. Every animal, we work hard to ensure that they have every opportunity to, to succeed. In fact, Jill, in addition to the Behavioral Rehabilitation Center in Asheville, we are in the middle of planning for 50 plus thousand square foot facility that'll be located in Pauling, New York. 
that will be dedicated to treating animals with hyperarousal and some aggression. These are animals that come to us through NYPD or other abuse cases. And we will be putting in place similar protocols that we've used in North Carolina for these animals so that they really have dedicated time, space, and expertise so they can recover. Now, the tragedy, the tragedy really is these animals are behaving in a way because they've been abused. So therefore, don't we have a greater obligation to help them heal, to put everything into their recovery that we possibly can, to learn, to iterate, and to share everything we've learned so shelters around the country can try to save these animals? They're behaving in these ways because somebody has betrayed them. We, the ASPCA, we, the animal welfare movement, owe them. We owe them every opportunity, a life filled with love and joy. No, and that's what it's all about. And we were talking before we started actually recording about the fact that these massive adoption efforts and things like that, really, it's become a situation now where so many animals are being given a home that that really isn't your central focus anymore. Thank goodness. No, no, it's, it's not. It's still part of our mission, right? Absolutely, as it should be. But we have really begun to focus at the intersection of pets and poverty, and whether that's up in rural areas or in, in urban areas, and can we provide resources to pet owners so that these pets can live fulfilled lives so they can stay in the homes that they're in? So pets and poverty and access to veterinary care is a huge focus of ours. Behavioral rehabilitation is a huge focus of ours. We're beginning to look at community cats how can we create a model to help these animals live lives that are free from suffering and pain? As you know, about eight, nine years ago, we added farm animals to our remit and really working with producers to produce our, our food products in a much more humane way. As you know, and as your listeners know, our food system is barbaric and it is filled with institutional cruelty. And equine is another focus of ours. This year, we launched actually the first ever equine transport program. Like dogs and cats, you know, there are different parts of the country where different breeds of horses are in higher demand or lower demand. So we've been able to move horses around the country to areas where they will more easily be adopted. And that's the other thing we're trying to do. We're trying to change the perception about what it is to adopt a horse. A rescued horse is every bit as good as a purchased horse, just like a rescued dog or cat is every bit as good as a dog that's acquired from a responsible breeder. That's such a great message, being a horse owner myself and loving these animals since I could walk and talk. Taking in a horse is a much bigger obligation and definitely a bigger commitment than taking in a dog or cat. You have to have the space, a lot more food, and quite frankly, more funds. And only about 33, 34% of equine rescue groups will take owner surrenders. We ran two pilot programs over the last few years, one in Oklahoma City and one in Dallas-Fort Worth. Over 50% of the people looking to rehome their horses had been looking for over a year because there are no resources out there for horses. So you have me back in a few months. I may have some exciting news to share on that front. Oh, that's great. You know, I'm always up for hearing anything positive on horse rescue because people need to understand the dire need to rescue horses. And Matt, on a final note, obviously 2020 was just the most unbelievable year. So much pain, so much sadness, but in animal welfare, what was the biggest breakthrough for the ASPCA in 2020? I think there were lots of learnings that being remote uh, the animal welfare community picked up. So doing virtual adoptions, providing care to adopters and fosters virtually, going paperless in our adoption process, all of these things 
helped us. One of the biggest levers that we pushed was our foster network. We saw about 160% increase in people wanting to foster. So we know that getting an animal out of an institutional setting, even the best shelter in the world, right? Being in a home is a much better place for that animal to transition to a permanent home if that foster doesn't become the permanent home. So I think what you're going to see, what you saw is shelters and rescues really grow their foster network. I think you're going to see shelters and rescue lean into those foster networks and utilize them even more going forward. Get the animals out of the shelter, get them into homes. The fosters expose these animals to an entirely different network. It's just like any big box retailer. Shelters have to get people in the door. But if I have a dog out with a foster, this foster is going to the park, this foster is going for walks, and the animal is being exposed in a way that it never would before. So the, the creation and the utilization of foster networks, I think, was a huge learning and benefit. Now, of course, people use foster networks before, but I think we'll use them even more going forward. So during this pandemic, there were many positive things that came out of it for animal welfare. Sure. 23 million people acquired pets during the pandemic, right? And as we discussed at the top of the show, 90% of those dogs are still in their homes and 85% of those cats are still in their homes. So this is really good news. And of course, it speaks to the Jill, what you and I have always known, the power of the human-animal bond. It's something very, very precious, and it can't be replicated in any other way. And people know that, and people love animals, and they respect and revere them. Oh, Matt, first of all, I'm so happy to end on a positive note. What you've told us today is such great news, and I feel so optimistic about the future of these pets, and I'm sure our listeners will be very relieved to hear what you had to tell us. Thank you so much, Matt, and we're going to check back with you this summer about what you're doing with the horses, your top secret news there. Give me to the fall. Give me to the fall. Okay, I'll give you to the fall. And until then, thank you again, and everybody... Have a great week, and thank you for tuning in to Rappaport to the Rescue. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.